welcome back to the extras my name is jack and i'm sam wonderful to be back with you digging into the word of god wrestling with your questions fantastic for us to be able to do that together really good we can be here yeah. uh, sam would love for you to tell us a little about what happened on sunday particularly for my sake i wasn't there on sunday i was sick and at home with a cough and that kind of thing and yeah how tricky are the uh, <laughs> the regulations these days if you get you get a slight sort of scratchy throat it's stay home yeah so, which no. is good um but That's yeah right. we, we missed you um and uh we, we spent sunday uh in psalm 130 uh i'm doing two weeks in the book of psalms um as we sort of wait uh which is the theme of today's questions as we wait for uh, raj to begin in a couple of weeks time nice. and so um we did psalm 130 which is all about uh god's god's grace and redemption and uh, we asked the question on sunday night how how what brings about real change in the life of a person? And mm. Psalm 130 recognizes that there is something, something up with us, something wrong, our sin, and it is crying for change and cry, uh, crying for God's help. And the answer comes in verses 3 and 4, where uh, having seen that, that God could keep a record of sins uh, and nobody could stand if he did, uh, and then he sees that with God there is forgiveness with the purpose that people would fear the Lord and that mm. is that's where change comes as, as people understand that the grace of God the forgiveness of God and it issues forth in a, a new life uh, a life of waiting for the Lord a, a life of encouraging others to put their hope in the Lord and, and then a life of uh, w- living out their salvation in the fear of the Lord mm. yeah nice. really helpful we've had a lot of questions coming in people taking this on board and wrestling particularly with these ideas of fear and forgiveness I think that's the main thing we'll be driving at today yeah so let's get into it okay uh, before we get to those uh, those ideas and the kind of application here we got a question about the the psalm here in its context uh, yep. and Sam you pointed out the, the psalm begins with that, that note about its, its context, its authorship. Uh, psalm 130 is one of the songs of ascents. Mm. So questions come in. Can you tell us a bit more about what that means? What are the songs of ascent? Do yes. they have a particular theme? Yep. Uh, and you mentioned how they are the, the songs that the Israelites you know, sang as they're traveling up towards the temple. Mm. Yeah, tell us a little about what that means and how that might help us as we come to understand the psalm. Totally. I, I mean, it's just a, a good little point to recognize that when you read the psalms, often the the headings actually are part of the text. Um, a lot of us are well-trained not to read the headings in parts like the New Testament or uh, other bits of the Old Testament, which have been added in by our sort of modern Bible uh, translators and compilers as a sort of helpful tool to sort of help you see what a chunk's about but in the psalms they're actually part of the text themselves and so yeah. we should read them as uh, as we read the bible and um this one tells us that it is one of the songs of ascent which uh is a little section of the psalter which runs from psalm 120 through to psalm 134 so sort of 15 psalms inclusive mm. uh, um and uh, like i mentioned on sunday they were they were sung and recited by the Israelites uh, on on pilgr- as they pilgrimed uh, or pilgrimaged pilgrimaged I think is the is the verb is that a verb um, uh, whatever I'll it take is. Your way, as they walked <laughs> up up the mountain to meet with God on the day of atonement yeah so ascent is in going up like that's right the mountain because, is you know the temple on top of the mountain you are actually going up that's to Jerusalem. right geographically mm. Jerusalem was a mountain city and Zion was the was the high point of the mountain upon which uh, the Lord's temple was built. And so mm-hmm. it was an uphill sort of, you know, if you've ever, ever been to Katoomba Convention, you've you ever done that, you sort of car parks <laughs> yeah. down the bottom and then you ascend up to well, the shed. Uh, but that's right. Yeah. It, it's Singing up on... your Colin Buchanan songs <laughs> of a sense or whatever you're doing <laughs> as a right. group, you know. But the point was that 
as you would do that, you were going there to uh, participate in the, in the Day of Atonement as, as uh, sacrifices would be offered for your sins and the songs of ascent were designed for you to, I guess, get your mind and your heart in the right place that you would understand both what is, what is about to happen and how to live in light of it. And so if you think about it, to sing a song that, that re- reflects upon the fact that God doesn't keep a record of our sins but graciously forgives them, uh, a song that speaks about uh, putting your hope in the Lord because of his unfailing love and redemption, uh, all of which you're about to see sort of visibly enacted as a sacrifice is made for your sins. Uh, mm. It should have been you on the altar dying for your sin, but, but God graciously gives forgiveness. And uh, that's the theme. So, so each one has to do with kind of preparing Israel for their, their corporate worship and their, their meeting with the Lord as mm. they go to the temple. Yeah, really helpful. I guess particularly this one, this idea of waiting for the Lord. You know, you're, you're looking forward to this thing that's about to happen, right? Kind that's of, exactly right. Makes a lot of sense, yeah. No, that's really helpful. Let's get into the details of the psalm itself. We've had mm. one question, or a few questions actually come in about verse 6. So again, mm. on the theme of waiting, verse 6 says, I wait for the Lord. More than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Mm. And that's not me stuttering or anything. Like the, <laughs> the same line there is repeated twice. And a few people right. have asked the question, why? Why yep. is that line repeated here? Yeah. Uh, repetition is, is, a, is a technique that the Psalms often use. Um, and you can see it in other parts of this Psalm. Um, and often it's, it's emphatic. Uh, when, mm. when you, what you repeat is what you're trying to emphasize. Um, and also keep in mind that these were sung. Uh, these, these were songs, and, and you know in songs that if you repeat something, it helps you to remember it and, and recall it, and it, it has its uh, impact by, via its repetition. Um, and so you can see uh, you've got a repetition of crying in verses 1 and 2. You've got lots of repetition of waiting five or six times in verses 5 and 6. Um, and then you've got uh, repetition of, of redemption in verses 7 and 8. So there's sort of... Um, quite a bit of repetition, not just this, but this is explicit, specific uh, repetition here of, of this one line. Mm. Um, why is that? Well, partly I think it's that waiting really is the thing that the psalmist is committing himself to do in light of God's character of forgiveness. He doesn't yet know how God will fully achieve his forgiveness and, and uh, redemption. And so he's, he's set himself to wait for the Lord's salvation. Um, which is uh, a kind of fundamental characteristic of faith, I think, waiting upon the Lord. We, we do that. I mean, Paul writes about the Thessalonians, that, that the marker of their, their great discipleship is they turn to God from idols and are now waiting for the Son coming from heaven who will uh, save them from the coming wrath. Mm. Uh, waiting is sort of uh, part of it. Now, on top of that, uh, there's something poetic in that, in that the line makes you wait. Yeah. <laughs> so you can't quite get to the redemption because you have to repeat this line about waiting twice. It kind yeah. of makes you wait in itself. So it's quite a clever device, quite a mm. clever use of this device in order to sort of hold you up and make you slow down because you've got to sing this line twice before yeah. you can get on to singing about the redemption. Yeah, that's quite a nice little feature. I think there's something in that. Like I think that we often do bring quite a intellectual and propositional grid to the Bible. It's yeah. like we come to the Bible, just give me the facts. Yeah. And so you read lines like this and the fact that it repeats the same thing twice. Well, that's, that's redundant information. Like I that's don't need right. that twice. I've already that's heard right. that. Yeah. But I mean, particularly in places like the Psalms where we are reading poetry, the, the genre is significant and yeah. the Bible is not just like the information is obviously crucial, but it's not just the information that is 
God's word that's meant to change mm. us. It's it's the the form and even the shape of the words right. makes us feel something and experience something, and that's part of mm. God's word as well. How God acts on us is not just through the information, but also through the way that information comes. So the fact that you have these poetic techniques to actually make you wait and feel that as you're mm. hearing about it. I think that's that's something quite important. Yep. No, I totally agree. So, yeah, I think that's what's going on there. So thanks for the question. Yeah, helpful. All right. Coming on to, I guess, thinking about some of the big ideas, and uh, Sam, you pointed us a lot to verse 4 as one of the really kind of crux moments of this psalm, thinking about forgiveness and fear. Yep. Questions come in, how does forgiveness lead to reverent fear? Yeah, great question. Um that that was I, I think my my big point on uh, on Sunday that that uh, fear of the Lord, which Proverbs one says is the beginning of wisdom. Where, where does that begin? It, it begins when you have exper- experienced God's grace to you. Um, and and I, I made the point on on Sunday that I think if I were writing the psalm, I think I would have been tempted to put the fear of the Lord with uh, the fact that God God sees all, God knows all, and is the judge of all in verse three, keeping mm. keeping a record of sins. I, I would find that the scary thing, but it's not quite how how the psalmist does it. He he says in light of that, then he says, "With you there is forgiveness that you may be feared." Yeah. Uh, so it is it is surprising, and I think one of the little tricks to understanding the psalms is often look out for the surprise look out for where things kind of shock you a little bit and there's there's often something to be kind of noted at that point and i think that's a surprising order um why does uh forgiveness lead to fear well i made the point on sunday that um fearing god is not not being scared of something that you run away from and that's often mm. how we think about you know it's a big bad monster gotta run away you know i'm scared uh spider ah run you yeah. know but actually the fear of the lord means you actually run to god um and you offer your life to him um without forgiveness you, you couldn't do that uh, he would be a scary god that you'd want to run away from but yeah. he's, he's a gracious god who offers forgiveness that you might come to him and live your life in, in I use the language of worshipful submission to him, mm. um, a, a kind of a reverent obedience, um, which is sort of the language that the New Testament kind of runs with when it talks about fear of the Lord. And we went to Philippians 2, talking about how um, in light of our salvation, we now work it out, we live it out in fear and trembling um, because, yeah, so it's not running away from God, it's running to God and offering ourselves to him. Yeah. Does that help? That's helpful, yeah. So we might kind of just, you know, the word fear, we maybe be tempted to think of it more naively as, oh, if there's forgiveness, then it's like the pressure's off, so I don't mm. have to fear God. But that's not the kind of yeah. way the Bible's using the word at this point. This is a forgiveness means you can come to a God in that, yeah, worshipful mm. submission. That's a, I think that's a helpful phrase. Yeah, and I think um, this idea of kind of trembling before the Lord mm. um, that you see his immense power and his his uh, his total justice and his... his um, sort of knowing of all things, and yet he offers you grace and mercy is a thing that should make you sort of tremble and, yeah. and think, wow, God God could have done, could have been, like, could have exercised his judgment on me mm. and yet has withheld that and, and offered me grace instead and I come to him meekly and trembling and, uh, yeah, in, in fear, mm. uh, not because I'm scared of him, but because I'm sort of... Uh, almost in awe of, of him. Yeah, no, helpful. Yeah. We'll keep going. Uh, a few questions digging now into this idea of forgiveness, which is clearly there in verse 4 as well. Uh, one question asker has said, we are called to forgive like God forgives us. Mm. So how can we truly forgive? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. And 
we we are called uh, for, forgive as I have forgiven you is is, is sort of um, yeah the, the New Testament call on, on the life of a believer. Yeah, we pray it every time we pray the Lord's Prayer, don't we? That's right. Um, yep, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Um, we we can and we can't forgive like God. Um, mm. We can't in that only Christ can die for the sins of the world, um, yeah. and only He, and also only He is always perfectly in the right when it comes to something that needs to be forgiven. Often in human relationships, um, sometimes it is very clear you are completely innocent and someone has wronged you. That is, but but more often than not, there's two way streets going on, and yeah, two sides to the story. Yeah, that's right, and mm. often you've as much as someone's wronged you, you've potentially wronged them too, and so we are not fully like God in that sense, um, nor is our capacity to, we are not the exerciser of justice. Um, and and uh, sometimes, yeah, so, so God is, there is difference between God and us. Mm. Um, what is similar is I think that uh, God's forgiveness is a choice not to exact retribution, but in fact to pay for it personally. Uh, and that's the whole idea of redemption. That the yeah. redemption is that the payment of a cost uh, to to free someone from their burden, from their um, slavery, uh, and God sees he he knows the price that has been uh, that, that is owing for each of us, and yet he pays that at great cost to himself through the death of Jesus on the cross. The, the cross, and that's you know what we're going to be celebrating at Easter in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, that the costly love of Christ, uh, and that is a choice of God not to exact uh, retribution, but to uh, absorb it, pay it himself. Um, and, and I think in that sense, we can forgive like God, which is that when someone wrongs me, every fiber of my being wants to exact retribution, uh, whether that is by you know physically punching them back or, yes. uh, or more often than not uh, with my words yeah. uh, or in my heart or gossiping about someone. I, I want to get them back and I want them to taste justice and I want to be the deliverer of justice in that mm. moment. Yeah. Um, but to be like God, I think, is not to, not to seek uh, retribution, but actually to, to do that is, is costly because rather than making them pay, I, I choose to not kind of exact my my right in, in getting getting my own back on them but actually have to absorb that in myself and that can be a painful and hard thing to do especially when you really want to say something or you really want to let someone have it with both barrels um, yeah. but to actually they say I'm sorry and you say okay I, I choose to forgive you um, and sometimes that can that can cause you you have to carry that hurt rather than make them carry the hurt yeah so it, it certainly is costly isn't it that yeah, absorption is kind of. I think that's a helpful word, isn't it? It's it's me deliberately deciding. Yep. There's there's a justice element here that I'm going to forego. I'm going to. Yeah, let let. It is kind of letting it go in a sense, isn't it? It's because we don't exact retribution. We don't. That's right. Um, we don't make atonement yep. for ourselves, but we deliberately yep. decide that I'm going to let this hurt happen and I'm not going to pay you back. And like, that is a cost. Yeah, that's right. And now that doesn't mean it's worth saying at this point, doesn't mean particularly with significant ill that's been, you know, um, done. If someone's really sinned against you, perhaps in a, in a sense where they've broken the law mm. or they've done something abusive or, or something like that. 
Uh, I don't think it means that there's now no consequences for that sin for that person, nor would mm. you never tell an authority. I think yeah. I think those things, God has set those systems and structures up that uh, there may well be still be consequences for this person for mm. their sins. Um, I, I was talking to someone recently about this, and I, I sort of used the example of, you know, if someone were you know, to commit murder and then ask God for forgiveness. God will, God can forgive them, but that person still needs to go to jail. Yeah. You know, there's still a yeah. consequence uh, to, to be paid for that sin. And sometimes sins, even against us, have consequences. But I think there is a sense in which relationally uh, we, we may choose even to forgive someone who's done significant, substantial wrong to us. But that doesn't mean that we, we therefore, that they wouldn't need to, pay costs or, or do something through the, the, the legal system. Um, those things are not exclusive. I don't yeah. Think. yeah. And in the same way, forgiveness doesn't necessarily mean that the relationship is going to be extort, restored to exactly what it was. No, like, that's right. Reconciliation, I think, is a step even beyond forgiveness because that's it may right. be that you can forgive someone for the awful wrong they've done, but there may be very good reasons for you not to trust them and that's, not to continue right. in the way the relationship was. But like, yeah, yeah, so we're not saying anything like that. Yeah. This is purely on the, the yeah. forgiveness side of it. Yeah. yeah. I think that's right. Yeah. Mm. let's keep going on this line another question's come in uh, I think that this picks up on something you said Sam uh, if it's wrong to dismiss wrongdoing by saying oh you know no worries it's okay when someone does wrong to us how do we show forgiveness and grace and patience to others mm. there's some more elements of the question but I might hold them back to, yeah, we'll start yeah. with that yeah so yeah, you, yeah. this idea of you know someone yeah. bumps you in the corridor and you say yeah it doesn't matter like, <laughs> well it's so sure, sure. Um, but bumping someone in the corridor <laughs> I, I think that is the kind of thing you, yeah. you should just say oh, look, no worries yeah. unless they saw you in the distance and kind of charged at you and sort of you know like oh well I think I might have done this once as a teenager you know saw someone and, and put, put the shoulder into them to, in order to hurt them uh, I, I don't think in that sense we say no worries, but if someone's mm. just brushing past you, sure. Um, that, that's sort of not, not the point I was making. Yeah, uh, I was making the point that often when we do forgiveness, I, I think particularly when there's been either intentional or real wrong against us, our, our habit can be to say, oh, it's okay, don't worry about it, mm. which I, I think sometimes minimizes the reality of the, the wrong that's been um, perpetrated yeah, and therefore and isn't really offering forgiveness it's just brushing over something um, mm. and so it may be helpful to talk about what we do in our family like uh, one of the things we, we've sought to do with our kids uh, when they inevitably have disagreements is uh, encourage them to, to go to each other or, or to us uh, and us to them um, it's, it's mm. a two way street uh, to say so I mean maybe use an example for me um, you know uh, speak to one of my kids, look, I'm sorry, uh, I, I raised my voice, I, I, I got frustrated, um, and I lost my temper, and, uh, and I want to apologize to you for that, um, would you please forgive me? Mm. Uh, and then training the kids to then say, yeah, I, I, um, you know, I, I forgive you, Dad, rather than saying, it's okay, because it wasn't okay, I lost my temper and mm. I raised my voice. Yeah. Um, now, it probably might also be that, you know, that then there's a, the other side, you know, Dad, I'm really sorry I smashed the window even though you told me <laughs> not to play with a golf ball inside. Yep. You know, <laughs> you know. Mm. so both, and then I say, look, you know, I forgive you. And I'll pay than, the cost. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly right. Mm. Uh, rather than saying it's okay, because it wasn't okay to play with a golf ball inside, nor was it okay for me to raise my voice. Mm. And so both of us, for us to say it's okay is acknowledging that the behavior's fine. The behavior wasn't fine. So I think choosing to use the language of mm. I forgive you, I think is better language than it's okay. Um, does, does that help? Yeah, it really does. And I think that so often we do just 
yeah, brush off things that were not okay as if they are okay. And that's the problem is, you know, there's a denial of the reality there, but yeah. I think it is better to say, yeah, you know, someone says sorry and you say, yeah, what you did was not okay and it hurt me and I choose to forgive you. That's right. And that's hard and that's yep. costly and that's exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. Yep. Next step in the question, um, where is the line? Hmm. Uh, and I guess that the question behind that is if you take what you've said there, which I think is really helpful and something we need to do more of in taking, mm. you know, forgiveness more seriously. Yep. If you extend that too far, it gets obnoxious, right? Like if every time <laughs> anyone ever, you know, yep. like we said, bumps you in the corridor, you stop and say, look, you, what you did was wrong. Yeah. You, you know, you, you just watch yourself, you know, you should be more aware of your body. But I choose to forgive you, yeah, right? right? Like, you yeah. know, where's, where's the line? Yeah, thank you. Good, good question. Um, and I think there is a part in this, you know, we went to Philippians 2 on Sunday, which talks about do everything without grumbling or complaining. Sometimes you might just choose simply to, to overlook those things in grace to someone, right? Mm. And, and not even raise it and just hold your tongue. Yeah. Um, and it's tricky to say where is that line and part of part of wisdom I, I think is learning where that is um, mm. and, and being thoughtful and prayerful about each thing and trying to work out, um, is this something I need to raise with someone and say, hey look I think you've done the wrong thing and you've hurt me um, mm. to give them an opportunity to apologise, maybe uh, is it something, do they just brush past you, you know, <laughs> in the corridor um, yeah, so using your wisdom and discernment in that to know where that is, but I, yeah, I certainly don't mean you know um, someone certainly for, for something like accidental yeah. um, that didn't you know I don't think we we are in the business of saying I'm going to forgive an accident uh, yeah, <laughs> an accident's an accident you yeah. know um, it's it's but I do think it's helpful in the time either in terms of intentional mm. uh, or even just habitual um, wrongdoing yeah uh, I think ap- apologizing and offering forgiveness is a, is a better way to go yeah maybe just a, a rule of thumb is if if something like actually doesn't matter to you like yeah if you get bumped in the corridor and like you literally don't care then well yeah, yeah you, but, you know that doesn't matter but yeah if, if someone wrongs you and you continue to you know mm. ruminate on that and yeah. that you know you realize actually no like this person has wronged me and i'm still mm. thinking about that and i was hurt by that yeah. you know jesus words to us are and if your brother sins against you go and confront them right that's right and mm. sometimes that can take some time to work it out mm. um, sometimes you might think you're okay with something and then you realize in time actually i'm, I'm really not okay with this yeah um and, uh, you know, that, that can be really complex and hard. Um, if there's something that's happened a while back that you thought you were okay with, but it's actually, you know, you realize actually, no, they, they really did wrong me. And that was, and sometimes age can help you to see that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. the, the, and maturity, um, you thought you were okay and you, you're not, um, mm. yeah. Trying to work out how to lovingly, um, speak to someone about what's happened, I think is important to learn how to do. Yeah. Helpful. One more question on this kind of line. Uh, what's the difference between not grumbling and calling out sin and hurt rather than covering it up? Mm. Um, so I, I, I'm guessing that's coming out of the Philippians 2 um, passage of where, where he says do everything without um, grumbling or complaining uh, and arguing. Uh, and I guess the question is um, what's the difference between choosing not to grumble about something and uh therefore not saying something about someone's mm. wrongdoing. Um, and I guess it comes down to what, what's grumbling and complaining, what's at the heart of them. Yeah. Um, sometimes I think that's a way that we kind of let off steam and, and kind of get something out of our system rather than actually talking to the person mm. um, who, who is at the heart of it. And sometimes that can be done particularly in gossip or... Um, 
you know, you see it in the Israelites uh, when, when Moses is up on the mountain, you know, um, talking with God, getting the Ten Commandments, you know, all that kind of stuff. They're down on the on the ground level, uh, going, oh, Moses, you know, you know, God, they don't care for us. You know, they've been gone for so long, uh, and they start grumbling against each other. Mm. Um, yeah, so there's a sense in which they're almost leaving Moses and God out of the thing and talking about them while the, in, while they're in absentia. Yeah, it's hard to imagine that you would grumble to someone about them. Like yeah. Almost inherent in the idea. It's a, it's a more of a gossip kind of thing. I, I think that's right. Going to someone else, you know? Yeah. Whereas I think a healthy behavior mm. in, in that sense is if you see something wrong, you may choose to overlook it as we were just talking about, or mm. if you feel like, no, this is actually something that's not okay. And I think I need to say something. Don't say it to someone else. Yeah. <laughs> go, go and have a conversation with that person first. Uh, and as kindly and as carefully as you can, explain to them the, the, the nature of things. Don't don't lose your temper at them. Don't uh, try, try and you know. Uh, don't use a kind of harsh startup language where you always do this and you're the worst. And yeah, you yeah. Know, but actually, look, I've noticed as this thing's happening, it makes me feel like this when mm. when you do such and such. And I wanted to let you know just so you could be aware. Um, that gives people an opportunity to come back to you and say, look, I'm really sorry. I didn't, mm. you know, maybe I didn't even realize they were doing it. Whatever it is, yeah. they can apologize. But if they don't, that's in their court. Mm. Um, but then at that point, make the decision not to then go off and grumble to the other person and complain about them behind their back. Um, and if they're, if you need to then escalate it by bringing someone else back with you, which is, I think, again, a, a kind of Matthew... Uh, 19 is it uh, 20 18 18 yeah yeah, uh, yeah kind of ha- pattern of you know go first on your own take someone back with you a second time you know there's a there's a pattern mm. laid out for us there as to how to deal with that kind of stuff yeah no it's really helpful Help, like so often we wrong each other and you know just brush under the carpet i think it's really helpful for us to dig into this and think about mm. how do we bring sin sin into the light in a mm. way that is yep. loving and caring yeah thanks yep. for your wisdom there yeah one final question today uh so we've been we've been saying uh verse four with you there is forgiveness so that you may be feared mm. final question someone sent in what does it look like to live for god with fear and trembling what are some practical tips yeah um thanks thanks for the question um I think it uh, is fleshed out for us a bit more in Philippians chapter 2. And so I'm going to flick over there now. Um, And uh, it sort of has this grand language of, you know, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, you know, for it is God who works in you to to will and to act according to his good purpose. Uh, These kind of grand ideas. And then the very next words I think are really interesting. Uh, Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation, mm. then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. You know, so there's this idea of if you want to stand out and, and shine like a star in the dark sky and you want to you fear the Lord, it all sounds quite kind of spectacular, yeah, uh, dramatic kind of, kind of language. Mm. Uh, and yet it's worked out in these apparently unspectacular things like choosing not to complain. Uh, choosing not to argue um, back earlier in, in chapter 2, which I think is, is connected to this passage, um, verse 3, you know, doing nothing out of selfish ambition, um, humbly valuing others above yourself, not mm. looking to your own interests but to the interests of others. Um, I think that is how you work out your salvation in the fear of the Lord. Um, and, and it's spectacularly unspectacular or, yeah. or unspectacularly spectacular <laughs> I, I can't quite work out which one, one it is but it is a glorious thing to do and yet it seems so plain uh, yet it really is God 
a God wrought miracle mm. uh, when a uh, one who was a sinner, as Psalm 130 began, you know, I cry out of the depths to you because of my sin. When they are cha- so thoroughly changed by experiencing the mercy of the Lord that they then are doing things like not complaining and yeah. putting others first and uh, being Christ-like, uh, that is an incredible miracle, but it's worked out in, the, in very day-to-day mundane circumstances of holding your tongue and uh, saying hmm. a kind word and offering forgiveness and... But I think it's quite profound. It really is, yeah. I feel like it's it's quite a stirring thought that the things that we take to be so mundane, like just, you know, grumbling about something that happened mm. so everyday and routine for us. Mm. I think a passage like this really lifts my gaze to seeing, I guess, firstly, how serious sin is. Like the things that I think are just, you know, insignificant to, to grumble is actually this, you know, profound thing that's against mm. God. And, you know, yeah. once, you have, once you have a God-centered worldview you realize that everything good is from him and we're called to live before him in fear and thanks like you see grumbling for what it is and how serious it is yeah but also the fact that something that is at one level just this everyday thing that we go through in life that is Mm. part of how we declare the praises of the god of the universe and shine like stars yeah there is something yeah quite wonderful in that isn't it and and i think I think sometimes, particularly when you're when you think about what's the spectacular thing about the church, you know, about about mm. God's people, um, I think it's this kind of stuff, which yeah. often is is done in in private, uh, in in the the small scale, not out on the world stage. Um, yeah, no, it is wonderful. The Billy Grahams of the world who sort of, mm. you know, preach to thousands or the big worship event where, you know, yeah. there's this electric feeling. Now, there's, there is a spec- spectacular kind of nature in that. There's something wonderful about those things too. Mm. But it seems to me that Philippians 2 is saying the, the truly spectacular thing is, is a Christian brother or sister who fears the Lord and m- makes decisions to live their life in worshipful, reverent submission to God in the everyday stuff. Yeah. So, you know, as we finish, may that be an encouragement to you today as you listen to this, that yeah. whatever mundane, everyday things that you are facing today, they're an opportunity for you to seek not to grumble, but uh, to mm. shine like a star in the universe, holding out the That's word it. of life. Isn't that a stirring thought as we head out into the day? Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. Well, thank you for your questions. We're grateful as always to be able to engage with you and go deeper into the Word of God. We're looking forward to that again this Sunday when you're preaching again, Sam. So you can give us a little taste of what we're looking forward to this Sunday. Yeah, look, uh, I'm going to have a go this week at Psalm 84. Psalm 84. Which I love. There's a little line in Psalm 84 that really kind of draws me to it where it says, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. And, and you've got this idea of the, the psalmist who just longs to be in the presence of God because he thinks it's going to make him happy. Mm. Um, and uh, so I'm going to be exploring the theme of happiness. Um, and uh, I think it's a very human thing to long to be happy. We want it. We're all chasing it. Yeah. Where is it found? And the psalmist says uh, it's ultimately and truly and in its best way found in the presence of God. Um, but there's something, there's a little trick to Psalm 84, and I'm still working on it myself, but uh, there's a little prayer for the Messiah. And if you want to do some homework between now and Sunday, uh, yeah, try and get your head around the prayer in verse 9 about uh, what the psalmist prays for the anointed, uh, that, mm. that uh, God would, would protect him. Uh, and, and what does that have to It feels like there's one verse that's just totally out of nowhere in the psalm. And yet I think it's actually at the very heart of, of, uh, of happiness and uh, knowing the Lord. So there you go. Well, I'm intrigued. Looking yeah. forward to that. Excellent. Fantastic. That's Sunday. 
Looking forward to being together with you, gathered around the word, uh, drinking it in. It's going to be wonderful. We'll catch you on Sunday. See you then. Bye.